This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. During my seminary years, I volunteered at the church that we belong to by teaching and leading the, the youth in that congregation. And I remember once when tragedy struck one of our teenage girls as her older brother, just a few years older, maybe 20 years old, was killed in a car wreck. And as I remember, it was due to being intoxicated while he's driving. The family had no church relationship other than the fact that their daughter came to our church and belonged in our youth group. The rest of the family did not come at all and had no relationship at all with the congregation, but because of her, they came to our pastor and, and said, would you, would you please help us out and, and, and preach the funeral? And of course, he obliged and, and did that. And uh, along with many others in the church, I attended the funeral to support this uh, young, young girl who was in our youth group. Uh, pastor Rod, as he always did, uh, brought a great message uh, that day in, in that funeral and, and as again, as he always did, Rod presented the gospel of Jesus to the crowd that day, letting them know that Jesus had died on a cross to provide any and all who believe everlasting life. But a few minutes after the service was concluded and people had been able to mingle around and talk a little bit, he found me and came over to me and he was, he was visibly upset. Someone in the, in the family had pulled him aside after the service was over and kind of reamed him out, let him know how angry they were over what he did not say in his sermon. See, there was nothing in the life of this young man who died that indicated that he had any kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Rod was, as pastor should be, I believe, he was sensitive about not saying anything in the ceremony, in the service to indicate the boy was eternally lost. You know, you just don't stand up in a funeral service and talk about the dearly beloved departed burning forever in hell. You just don't do that. And he didn't. And after all, neither he nor I or anybody, none of us can look into another person's heart. Yet at the time, he also could not say, and he did not say in the sermon, in the service, that the young man was now, quote-unquote, in a better place, meaning heaven. And my pastor, who he was, you know, I was in my late 20s, and he was just a few years older than, than I, he looked at me and said, he asked me, he said, Rick, he said, what could I have done? What could I have said differently without compromising the truth of the Word of God? You see, in our culture, it's become very, and our culture has become very, is become very diverse religiously. And even in the culture of Christian churches, there is this myth, uh, this legend that is so politically correct to believe and express, yet it has no biblical basis, that says everyone who dies goes to a better place. It makes everyone feel better to say that, especially at funerals. But it's an urban legend. It's totally false. And it's a legend that quite honestly for pastors and preachers puts a whole lot of stress on us. 
I've had several people who have no relationship with Christ at all, don't claim to know him, yet might, might fit into what we might call good people, have come to me and said, because they know me here in the community, and asked me to be, Rick, would you be ready to, quote unquote, put in a good word for me when I die at their funeral? But here's the deal. Please understand, no preacher can preach anyone into heaven. just doesn't work that way. Now, today's message may make some of us here squirm. Uh, I already know that in advance. And partly because of human nature. Deep down, we want to believe that everybody makes it to heaven. That would be great, wouldn't it? I would like to believe that. And partly because we all have likely experienced the death of someone who showed no evidence at all of faith in Christ, yet deep down we want to believe. We hope that somehow he or she made it. So before we go any further today, I want to say that if this message angers you, gets you upset, please, can I ask you, please don't be mad and angry with me because I'm just going to tell you what what the Word of God said, and I'm going to quote Jesus today. So if you're going to get angry or mad at somebody, take it up with him, all right? But don't come at me and tell me how how upset you are about what I had to say. Um, He can handle it better than I would, I think. Let me, let me give you some things you can jot down if you're going to take notes this morning. Some, here's some biblical reasons why that legend is false, that everybody goes to a better place. Number one, heaven's not the only option. Heaven's not the only option. Jesus and the Bible are clear that there is a heaven and there, there also is a hell. Heaven is the eternal destination for those God declares to be unrighteous. Hell is the eternal destination for those God declares to be unrighteous. Someone came up to me before the last gathering and said to me, oh, I, saw, I just saw a very unsettling bumper sticker on a car, Rick, and she said it said this, God, I, I pray that you won't be too picky. That's what, that's what the bumper sticker said. I pray that you won't be too picky. God has heaven prepared for those he declares to be righteous and hell declared for those he declares to be unrighteous. Listen to what Jesus said about options. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the road is wide that leads to hell. And many people enter through that gate, but the gate is small and the road is narrow that leads to true life and only a few people find that road. Jesus made it really clear, I think, here. I don't think this is confusing at all, that that there are two roads. And he said most people will choose the road that's broad and wide and comfortable to hell, and few will choose the narrow road that leads to life. Jesus said there's not just one option. There are two. Another biblical reason the legend is false is that there is only one way to heaven. Don't think it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. And a lot of people believe that. As long as it's not so important what you believe, but just be really sincere about it. Probably the most familiar verse in the Bible, I guess, that describes God's plan to save fallen humans is John 3.16. I bet everybody's heard that at least once in your life. Most of us can quote it, but look at it with me. Again, it's a quote from Jesus. He said, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him may not be lost but have 
eternal life. God gave his one and only son. Now, a lot of parents here today and, and maybe some would-be parents uh, here this morning, you know, would you or I, is there any way that you or I could conjure up enough love for anybody else on this planet that you would trade the life of your child for that person, regardless of who it is? Anybody who has that much love for anybody else, please stand and tell me about it because I don't think it exists in human people. I, I don't think it's possible for you and I to love somebody else that we could say, here, I'll tell you what, you take my child, you take his life so that you can live. Don't ask me to do that. I'll just laugh at you. I'll say, there's no way. Yet that's what God did. And Jesus made it very simple here. He said the only way to have that life provided by God is to believe in him, in Jesus, the one and only Son of God. Now, two points already. There are more than one option. There's more than one option. And secondly, uh, Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. If those two points are shocking to you, listen, listen with me now. If either one of those or both of them together are shocking to you and you claim to be a Christ follower, then that would say that somewhere along the line, there's been a disconnect. What do you mean? Well, first of all, if you're a Christ follower, someone who has trusted Jesus as your Savior, you should have done so because you were convinced there is no other way for salvation. There is no other way for forgiveness of sin. There is no other way to obtain everlasting life that Jesus is God's one and only son if you are a Christ follower. Had a fellow come up to me in the lobby after the last gathering and he grabbed an outline. He said, are those scriptures on here? I said, yeah. He said, I got a brother who claims to be a Christian, but he doesn't accept anything that Jesus said. You know, he thinks he's going to heaven. He thinks he's a Christian, but he doesn't accept Jesus Christ. I thought, how can that be? There's a disconnect there somewhere. I have a $100 bill here in my pocket. Can you see that? Y'all see that? $100 bill, picture of Ben Franklin on the front and on the back. Anybody know what's on the back of a $100 bill other than Agnes Kirshner? She's got lots of them, by the way. You know what's on the back of this $100 bill, Agnes? Independence Hall. She's from Philadelphia. I thought she would know that. Now, does that look real to y'all? Does it? I mean, do you think, you think that's real money, $100? It better be because I paid 520s for it this morning, all right? Um, $100 bill. It has this $100 bill, according to the... The, uh, the, the government of the United States, so I'm going to shake your ground here. Based, according to the government of the United States, this $100 bill has purchase power, doesn't it? I can take this $100 bill and I can go across the street and buy two of you lunch, all right? Now, <laughs> and still have money to tip the waitress. <laughs> it has purchase power. But if it's counterfeit, what's its value? What? what what, what kind of value does the government put on this if it's not real? Somebody tell me. Nothing. If it's counterfeit, it has no, it has no real value. Not, well, it does have some value. I can, I can take it and fold it up, and like I did in third grade, I can make a paper airplane. 
I still think I remember how to do that. If I'm really skilled, I can fold it up and do, make a, an origami flower or something with it, you know. I can at least take it and strike, strike it with a match and light it and start a fire somewhere with it if I have nothing better to do. That's about the only value it has if it's counterfeit. You see, if you say, I believe in Jesus, but I could just as easily believe in something or someone else, then you don't believe in the Jesus of Scripture. You believe in a Jesus of man's making, one who is just another choice. And if that's your Jesus, that you could say, well, I could take him or I could take just about, as long as it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere about it, I could take Jesus or anything else. If that's your Jesus, you're clinging to a counterfeit and your belief has no power, no value in eternity. It's empty. There is only one Jesus, and either his claims are valid or they are not. You see, the myth behind this urban legend that everybody goes to a better place, there's a myth behind the myth, and the myth behind it is this, very simply, all roads lead to heaven. Said another way, again, doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe something. But most biblically literate Christians, those of us who maybe have been around the block a time or two, we know that kind of belief doesn't fit in with Christianity. But when push comes to shove, and it's someone in your family who dies, or a close friend of yours who dies, or the family member or friend who loses a loved one, and they die without knowing Christ, it becomes very, very easy for us to come, with, uh, come up with our own theology. In other words, it's easy for us to come up with what we want to believe. This year, Rob Bell's controversial book, Love Wins, has stirred up quite the debate over whether or not God will allow anyone to go to hell. Yet very simply put, I think it's really hard to pick up a Bible and, and read it, especially the words of Jesus, and not see that heaven is not a universal given for anyone, that he was pretty clear that hell is both a real place and populated by real people. Sometimes we can believe, you and I, we can believe what we want to believe, and we can make up our own sets of doctrines regardless of what our church teaches or believes because, frankly, here's the deal. You and I hear what we want to hear, I'm not naive enough to think that everyone, even those who are partners in this church, agree with or buy into everything that, that I teach from the Bible. I, I don't think that everybody does. Why not? Well, if you're, you come into a worship gathering like this, you come in and hear the Bible taught, if your mind is already made up about something and you hear something that comes from the Scripture and, and it makes you mad or uncomfortable, you know what you do? You know what I do? We can, you can just turn me off, you know, take the, the remote and point it at your ears, you know, and off I go and off your mind goes, I'm not going to listen to that because I don't like it. And there might be some, somebody here today who has heard us in this church say over and over and over again that salvation in Christ, salvation in Christ only comes when we put our faith in him, yet they still believe, there are people who still believe that by going to church or by being religious, they're going to be okay with God when they die. You see, sometimes what's said and taught just doesn't sink in. 
So why can't we accept this particular urban legend? Why don't we just say, you know what, let's just go along with it. Everybody dies, they go to a good place, you know? Why can't we accept that? Let me give you several reasons. Number one, because the cross and salvation are central to the gospel. If we start believing that there's no hell for those who reject Christ, then what we have done is we have devalued the death that Jesus died on the cross. Think about it this way. What good did it do his death on the cross, what good did it do unless it provided rescue from hell? If we, if we lose the concept of a real hell, then not only are we at odds with much of what the Bible says, but we also devalue the cross. Because if not from hell, what's Jesus saving us from? If his death on the cross makes eternal life possible, but we can take away hell, then what's the big deal? Why did he have to go through all that? For there to be an eternal death worth possessing, I think there has to be an eternal, excuse me, eternal life worth possessing, there has to be an eternal death worth avoiding. Without a hell to avoid salvation, here's what it becomes. If there's not really a hell, that's just make-believe. If everybody goes to heaven, then what we've done is we've made salvation a nice option to have, not a necessity. And when it becomes less, when salvation becomes less than a necessity, it becomes something trivial, not life-changing. And then people think all that really matters in life is giving a nod to God. Yeah, I, I, I know there's a God, the, the big man in the sky and all that kind of thing. I hear people say that. They just say, okay, I accept there's a God. Does that count? Isn't that enough? Jesus died to keep us from hell. That's central to the gospel. Number two, we can't accept this particular urban legend because pointing others to Jesus is urgent, not arrogant business. You see, if all roads, the Mormon road, the Jehovah's Witness road, the Islamic road, the Buddhist road, the Jewish road, you just name all the religions of the world, the pagan road, if they all lead to the same place, then what in the world makes our path any better? Why in the world are we here? It's Sunday morning. It's a beautiful day. Let's go to the beach. Why are we here? Why, what makes Christianity any better than anything else? And who are we to tell someone that their religion won't get them to heaven? That sounds pretty arrogant. In fact, that's arrogant if Jesus isn't the only way. It is arrogant. And in fact, if that's true, that there are other ways to heaven, then Jesus was pretty arrogant himself. Because look what he said, John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, he made entrance into heaven something exclusively reserved for those who go only one way, and that's through him. And that separates Christianity from all the other religious groups who view him as less than the only way or one of many options. But we believe you believe that everyone will die one day? How many of you believe that? Raise your hand. Everyone will die. Look at the person. No, don't do that. And uh, everyone will die one day. We believe that everyone has an eternal spirit. We believe that heaven and hell are eternal realities and that everyone will go to one place or the other. If we truly believe what Jesus said, then we got to be compelled to tell others about him. It becomes urgent. 
But so many have bought into the legend. If you know and you've experienced the salvation Jesus offers you, you need to see the salvation of your friends, of your family, your loved ones, as urgent business. Last week, within the last 10 days, I've been requested to respond to two different calls involving death. One was a suicide. One was a drowning. And as I met with those families and and watched them grieve and, and, and prayed with them and helped them work through some things during that most awful time of their lives, what I discovered, even with the suicide, that nobody in the family, none of their friends had any clue that death was going to come to them that day. They didn't know, had no idea, shocked them, all of them. A drowning? We were just out there having fun. Suicide? They didn't know. That's why there is an urgency to share Christ. Number three, why we can't accept this legend is because it allows us to make salvation a secondary priority. What do you mean by that? Listen now. If it doesn't matter what people believe, maybe then they have more pressing needs than to know Christ. And and so here's what happens if you start to buy that. Here's what happens. We put meeting the needs of the here and now, the material needs that people have, the physical needs that people have ahead of salvation. Now, Follow with me very closely. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't feed the hungry and clothe the naked. Those are things that people who live in the kingdom of God do. That's why last Sunday, those that group of 30 or so of us that met after the hurricane, those of us that could get here and were okay, met in the lobby, and one of the things that we talked about was now go into your neighborhoods. That's why we're going down the street this afternoon to help people with some needs. But please hear me. Those kind of things are important for us to do. They're, they're required of us. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? So we do those things. But don't forget, that's not the most important thing. Jesus said, here's what's most important. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. He said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul. Now, hear me. If I die with a full stomach, if I die with clean water, if I die with an education, and I die with shelter because a missionary or a church cared about my physical needs, yet I die without ever hearing that Jesus loves me and died to be my Savior, somebody sold me short. Somebody forgot the most important part. And if we get on that path as a church of only addressing people's temporal needs, then before long we'll become comfortable with that, convincing ourselves that we have shown people Jesus, yet we've never told them the gospel. We've never cared about their eternal need for Jesus. That's what happened to the mainline denominations in the last century. They, they dug the wells and they eliminated the, the diseases and they built the orphanages and they protected the environment, but they never shared the living water of Christ. So next said, church, let's be careful that we don't go that same route. Maybe today, with a message like this addressing this, maybe the big question that needs to be answered is this. 
How can I be sure that heaven is my eternal destiny? If everybody doesn't necessarily go to a better place, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. How can I be sure that heaven is my eternal destiny? Now, if that surprises you that I say you can be sure that you'll go to heaven, I want you to listen very, very closely. If we were to leave here and go and stand outside all the churches on the, on, in this community and on this beach and, and, uh, and just interview people as they came out of church today and ask, the, ask them, you know, are, are you going to heaven? You know how most people would reply, most religious people in churches in the United States, you know how they would reply? They would say something like this, I sure hope so. Because they think their salvation is depending on something they do or don't do. On how good they live or don't live. I sure hope so. But the Bible says it doesn't have to be that way. The Bible says you can know and you can be sure without any doubt. John wrote these words. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Let's read that. Let's read it together. Read it aloud with me. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Would you circle that word, know? God's word says God wants you and me to know we have eternal life. John was writing to Christians here, believers in Jesus Christ. That's who us is. God's given us eternal life. And he makes it very simple and clear to them because there were probably some doubters, probably some that didn't understand this, that you can know. He said, if you have Christ, you possess eternal life. It's not something that you get when you die. You have it right now. And then he says, he wrote this to them. He says, I I wrote these things to you so that you could know, so that you could be sure, so that you could be confident of your eternal status in Christ. But the big question then that we have to follow that up with is what does it mean to have Christ? What does it mean to believe, as he says? Here's what it means. The word for believe is the same Greek word, New Testament is written in Greek, same word as the word faith or the word trust. So to believe means you have put your faith completely in, totally in Jesus. You are trusting in him and him alone, not in you, not in mom, not in your granddad who is a preacher or a deacon. You're trusting in you, not trusting in you, excuse me, you're trusting in him totally for your salvation. So here's what doesn't count. Here's where people put, man, they're banking their future in a lot of different things. Here's what doesn't count. Maybe, number one, you've gone through a class or a ritual. Yeah, but I've been through the class. You know, you've been in a church and you've, you've put your trust in some kind of confirmation class or, or that you've taken communion or that you've been baptized. Now, let me stop and say, those aren't bad things. To take classes that, that teach about faith and teach doctrine are good things. To, to uh, be baptized is a good thing. To receive communion is a good thing. Those are commanded by Jesus. But they're works on our part. They're either an addition to faith, if you are trusting in those things, or they're a substitute for faith. They don't count. Another thing doesn't count. You're a good moral person. 
I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm a go- I've been helping my neighbors all week. God, I hope you're noticing. Write it down. Again, that's not faith alone in Christ. That's faith in who? In me. How about this one? Church membership. Once again, that's not faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me say, we believe here very strongly that every believer needs to be a partner in a local church, a place in a family where you can grow and you can serve like God intended. But the, the roll up yonder that God uses for entrance into heaven is not the church role. He's not going to call, call Kathy Avery, our church clerk, and say, Kathy, uh, email me the church role in Nags Church. I want to check and see if they're there. Is their name there so I can let them into heaven? No. It doesn't work that way. Can somebody join a church who's never truly believed in Jesus? Well, what do you think? Sure. So it's not about church membership. How about this? It's not about saying a prayer or walking down a church aisle. Did you know that nowhere in the scriptures are we told to pray for salvation to be saved? We're not told to pray. What are we told to do, church? Believe. So it's not about saying a prayer and a lot of people say, well, I said a prayer, okay. I walked down an aisle, okay. But we're not told to do either one of us. Here's the deal. God accepts you when you believe. Now, hold on. And some of you are saying, oh, I'm all confused. Now, if you express that saving faith in a prayer as I did as a 10-year-old boy, if your words were sincere, did you believe when you prayed that prayer? Oh, that's what I was doing. I was telling God, I believe in, in Jesus Christ right now. Is that salvation? Yeah, because you believed. And the Bible doesn't tell us anywhere to walk down an aisle at church and talk to the pastor. But if you did that, as I did as a 10-year-old boy, and at that moment as you were taking those steps down the aisle, you were saying, I am believing and accepting and trusting in Jesus Christ as my Savior Did God give you salvation? Yeah, not because you walked down an aisle, but because you believed. More people will be in heaven who never walked down a church aisle than those who did, and there will be a lot of people aren't in heaven who walked down a church aisle and shook a preacher's hand and filled out a card, and everybody said amen, but they never believed. They were trusting in something else. So everybody in this room, I don't know how many of us there are here, Everybody in this room, the reality is we're all going to go to one place or the other. And everyone that everyone in this room knows will go to one place or the other. And everyone that everyone in this room in this world doesn't know is going to go to one place or the other. That's reality. And I can't possibly end this message without asking you that all-important question. And I'll ask it this way. Ten seconds after you've breathed your last breath, after your heart has beat its last time, 10 seconds later, where will you be? Would you bow your heads with me? If you don't know the answer to that question, or maybe you do know the answer, and you say, Rick, I know I'm not going to heaven. Or maybe you don't know. You don't have any confidence, any assurance. I want to say to you, there is good news. And you can walk out of this room in a few minutes knowing that you have eternal life, all you got to do is with a simple, childlike faith, put your total trust in Jesus Christ. That's it. Nothing else is required.
So if right now you would like to for the first time in your life, and it only takes one time, if you'd like to become a Christian, if you'd like to trust Christ, and you'd like to know for sure that you have heaven as your eternal destiny, I'm going to pause for just a moment while you express that faith to Christ, to God, while you believe. No magic words, just believe right now. Lord, I hope and pray that there's someone here this morning that's this very moment believing for the first time. Realizing it's not about me and it's not about anything that I can do. It's about what Jesus has already done. And in their hearts just saying, that's it. It's simple and I've been missing it, but now God, I want to possess it. And that you, by your grace, freely give this gift called salvation. Thank you, Lord, that while there are two options, there is the option of heaven. And it's made available to us freely by what you and your Son have done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.